My goal tonight is to get through Genesis chapter 2. We're going to do that. And from now on, the goal is this. We're going to do uh, half a chapter and then do another half a chapter, okay? So we're going to take big chunks out of Genesis all at, the, all at the same time here coming real quick, okay? So chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, we're going to do... Uh, each one of them probably two weeks for each chapter, but we're only doing two weeks for the, that chapter. Amen. And we're going to get through it a little faster that way. All right. Uh, let's start. We're going to start reading in verse eight, if you will. Join me. Genesis chapter two, verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground he out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree in the midst uh, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became four heads. And the name of the first is Pison, that is, which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is delium and oxy, uh, onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and the same is that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hiddekel. Now that Hiddekel River in the King James, it says Hiddekel, but that's the Tigris River, right? Uh, also, let's keep going. Uh, Hiddekel, okay, or Hiddekel, however you want to say it. That is which that goes towards the east of Assyria, and the fourth is the river Euphrates. And the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou shalt eat of, eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. If I, I, I will make him a helpmate for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave the names to all the cattle and all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmate for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh inside thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, 
Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh? And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let us pray. Father God, I pray right now that you would give us insight, understanding to your word, God. We pray that your word would lead us and guide us to all truth, that your spirit would use the word of God in our hearts to enlighten us, to, to bring knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you have commanded us to understand from the scriptures. Pray, God, that you would help us all to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would receive this tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to split up this uh, message, uh, if you would. Uh, number one, from 8 to 14 is the garden. We're talking about the Garden of Eden. And from uh, 15 to 18, we talk about man and how he cares for the garden uh, 19 to 20, we see Adam names the creatures. Uh, 21 to 23, the creation of woman happens, amen. And then 24 and 25, we are focused on marriage or the marriage covenant, amen. Uh, the first thing that I want to point out here is that God planted the garden for man and put him in it, amen. The first thing that God does is, remember how we talked last week about there was no herb of the field or bush of the field that had yet grown? And how that wasn't talking about plants of every kind, but cultivated plants for a garden or a field for cultivated growing things to sustain life. Amen. Human beings cultivate the ground that God made, and God made them for that purpose, right? God said he put Adam in there to dress and tend the what? The what? The garden, right? So when last week when we talked about an uh, open field or a cultivated ground or ground good for cultivating crops, amen, and not necessarily that no plant life existed because that would be a contradiction if it were so. Amen. But if we understand the grammar, he's saying every herb of the field, no herb of the field had yet grown. What does he mean herbs of the field? Well, wild herbs obviously grew, but not herbs that were useful for food for mankind. Notice everything that was grown in the garden was not just pleasant to the sight, but good for food. Amen. There's a lot of trees in the world that you can't eat. You can't eat anything off of them. Amen? There's lots of trees out there that you can't eat anything off of. Nothing. Amen? The trees that grew in the garden were not just good to look at, but they were good for food. Amen? And that's the same bearing that we have when we talk about no herb of the field had yet grown or bush of the field had yet grown. Those bushes and herbs were herbs that you could cultivate and continue to grow to produce food. Amen. Uh, this theme is still in chapter 1 because God is planting a garden in the very first verse. Amen. Very first thing God does 
in, in chapter uh, 2, verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden. Well, why is God planting a garden now? Because he had made man. Do you remember why there was no herb of the field? Do you remember why there was no bush in the field? Because there was no rain and no man to tend it. Amen? Wild plants don't need people to tend them. Garden herbs and garden plants do need people to tend them. Amen? Or they will not produce good fruit. They'll get choked out by weeds. They'll, they'll have too much water. They'll have a lack of water. People take care of gardens. Amen? If you want your garden to survive, you are meticulous about taking care of your garden. If you don't want your garden to grow, you'll do what I did and just plant a bunch of stuff and hope it grows. And it doesn't work. <laughs> amen? Can, can I get an amen, Carmen? Amen. So here we see God planting a garden, and his intention is to put man in the garden to tend the garden. Amen? That's the first thing that I noticed. Uh, this is when we see cultivated land and plants come about. Because man now exists, there's a man to tend it. Amen? Number two, every tree pleasant and good for food. We kind of covered that already, but that's the second thing that I had on my notes, is that it said every tree that wasn't just good looking, wasn't just pleasant to the eye, but it was good for food. Amen? And God caused that to be in the garden. Amen? Uh, number three, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are also planted in the garden. Amen? I want you to notice that God, in the very next verse, and this is my sixth point, okay, not just that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there, and not just the tree of life was there, but God, in the next verse, gives man, uh, not only do we see here that my sixth point, is, or my fourth point, excuse me, is that it's third and fourth point. My third point was that every tree of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were there. My fourth point is that God gives man what he needs. In other words, he gave him trees good for food, pleasant to look at and good for food, right? Then he gives him the, the tree of life, right? Then he gives him the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now I'm going to show you, people go, well, why did he put that tree in there knowing that man was going to I'll show you. God gives man what, he's, what will sustain him, and he also gives him boundaries for his own good. Amen? Why do we need the law, Mike? Why do we as Christians need the law? What does Paul say the law is good for? schoolmaster it teaches us right and it reveals sin right you realize that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasant to look at just like all the other trees no tree in the garden of eden was said to not look good it said god caused every tree that was pleasant to look at now what it says every tree that was pleasant to look at grew in the garden and it was good for food amen so man 
was given the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a boundary, as a requirement, as a law, if you will, to reveal to man that there's right and there's wrong. Man should have already knew before he ate the fruit that there was right and wrong. Amen? Good and evil. Man, the whole time he was in the garden, had access to the tree of life. Never did God say, you shall not eat of the tree of life. It's not said in there. He said, of every tree of the garden you can eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what we as human beings do. We will always choose the thing that we shouldn't. Adam did it. He had the tree of life looking him in the face. He had every other tree of the field that was pleasant to look at and good for food, including the tree of life. Yet man still chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God in his wisdom knew that that tree would reveal to Adam his sin. And the minute Adam ate it, that's what happened. Why? Because he knew all of a sudden he knew he was naked. All of a sudden he knew he had broke God's commandment. All of a sudden he hid himself from God when God came into the garden. That's exactly how it happened. Man ate the fruit, realized he was naked, heard God walking in the cool of the day, and ran and hid himself. Why? Because the law exposed his sin. Just like it does your sin, just like it does my sin, just like it did Israel's sin all throughout the time that they had the law, just like it does as Christians now, the law rightly applied shows me that I'm a sinner, shows me that I'm separated from God, shows me that I need a Savior. Amen? You realize, and the people go, well, why God let Adam do that? Why do you let your kids learn from their mistakes? So they learn. Adam would not have learned outside of God setting a boundary. Amen? He wouldn't have learned. If you don't tell your kids, hey, don't go out the door, and then there's a consequence for them going out the door, they're going to do what they want to do. Because there's no consequence, and there's no law to tell them not to. Amen? And then this gets into a whole other ball of wax, because people go, well, then, if God knew Adam was going to do it, why did he do all this? Why did God do the things that he does the way he does them? That's a whole other question that nobody has an answer to, because God's ways are higher than our ways. And so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But I can tell you one thing for sure. God wasn't sitting back going, man, I didn't see Adam. You know, I, I really just didn't see that coming. I just, I thought Adam would not touch the tree. Do you think God ever thought that? Do you think God put the tree in the Garden of Eden and said, man, I sure hope Adam doesn't touch that. 
I didn't do that. God knew that that was going to happen, okay? He had no, there was no, oops, I messed that one up, or, oh, man, I didn't see that coming when he put the tree there, amen? Do you realize from the very beginning of time, God's, God's plan to create the world and to create humanity was to show his glory to humanity, and he had to show, he, to, to, to be able to show his grace to Adam. He could not have shown his grace to Adam had Adam not had the tree planted in the garden as a boundary that God knew. Just like when you put a baby on the ground and you see them eyeballing that light socket, right? Every once in a while, you just got to go over there and let them get a little 110 volts. And they figure out real quick, ow, that hurts, and I don't do it again. Amen? Come on, man, let's be real. You try to keep them away from that hot iron when you're cooking pancakes, but every once in a while that kid will come over there and then one time he'll grab a hold of it. He figures out real quick, that's hot. Amen? Now I know that doesn't sound fair, and you're like, well, golly, God let that happen to Adam and then holds us all accountable for sin. How does that work? Now we're back in Romans 8 and 9, right? Now we're back in Romans 8 and 9 where, where Paul's answering the question. You'll say God's unjust then, won't you? No, God's not unjust. God made the law. Adam broke the law. That is fact. Amen. Just because I know that when I set my baby down while they're going to look at the light socket, just because I know that they're going to do it does not make me culpable for them doing it. You understand? God's not culpable for Adam's sin. Amen? He's not. Let's keep going. I don't want to get stuck right there. God gives man what he will. God not only gives man what will sustain him, but he gives him boundaries for his own good. Amen? Now, to answer your question that's going through your mind, this doesn't sound good. And why would God do this? Two reasons, number one of which is the main reason. Number one, for God to show his glory to Adam, his grace. Amen. To show. Now, we know this in the New Testament. It says God being for, uh, long-suffering and patient, waiting to show his glory, passed over sin for a time, right? Know what the Bible says? Pass over former sins so that he could show his grace to us now, Paul said. Right? Was it Paul? Paul said that he might show the exceeding abundance of his grace towards us in Christ. He passed over all your sins, all my sins. All the sins of people in the past, all the people in the future, when he sent Christ, he passed over all those sins. He allowed all that so that he could show the exceeding riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Amen. It's the same thing that happened with Adam. Why would he set the tree in the garden? Why would he let Adam do that? So that he could show Adam his grace, his mercy. Amen. Because here's the thing. Did Adam die? 
God told him, Adam, the minute that you eat that, the day that you eat that, you shall surely die. The fact that Adam lived is a testament to God's grace. Amen? The fact that Adam did not just, you know, poof into a little powder puff ball of dirt suit is grace. Amen? The fact that God didn't go and Adam just disappeared is grace. Amen? Not only did he give him grace, even while he was passing out judgment, God gave a promise in the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent that one day God was going to make all things right. Amen? And that's the portion of the story that we're getting closer and closer to is God making all things right. Amen? In Christ, he's already paid the debt for sin for all time. Amen? And at the end of the age, he's going to bring a culmination of all things, and all things will be made right. Amen? And he's going to pass over a lot of sin till that day. And then he's going to again show the wondrous glory of his grace to everyone who believes. Amen? That's the gospel, ain't it? That's the gospel. We get to look forward to God making all things right. And anyone who believes in the Son gets the same grace. Amen? Gets forgiveness. Gets pardoned. Amen? Let's keep going. God puts man in the garden, it says, to dress and to keep it. What does that do? What's a, what's a, what does dress and keep a garden? What does that mean? You're going to weed it. You're going to water it. You're going to tend, right? You're going to maintain the garden, right? So God didn't just make man for some flippant reason, right? He didn't just be like, well, you know, I'm feeling like making man today. Here, What'd you make man for, God? I don't know. God didn't say that, right? God didn't go, I don't know why I made man. He knew exactly why he made man. Amen? And, uh, he didn't make man because he was lonely or felt empty or felt like he just was something missing in him. Look, if your God has a feeling like he's empty and something's missing, he ain't God, okay? And that ain't the God of the Bible. God of the Bible is self-sufficient, all-sufficient, all no, eternally existent, needs nothing from me to continue to exist. Amen? God didn't need me. God created me because it pleased him to do so. That's what the Bible says. Amen? God made us because it pleased him to do so. Now, how many of you realize that everything God does is good? Even the stuff that don't look good. Let this sink into your brains, and I want you to think about this for, for you know, for the, the next week, if you have to, okay? God is going to be glorified when all who believe in him are brought to his throne and are redeemed and ransomed and brought completely whole back to their, you know, resurrected bodies and all that. When we all get to heaven... God's going to be glorified. 
Now, despite modern teaching, God's justice and his judgment of sinners does not hang looming over God like some dark cloud that somehow tarnishes God. His judgment is perfect. His righteousness and his holiness and his justice are perfect. So when God judges sinners and they are condemned, God is still glorified in that action because everything God does is good. Everything. God is not dishonored by the judgment of sinners. God is honored in that his justice and his righteousness and his holiness are perfected in judgment. Amen? God is not dishonored when he has to judge people. Amen? God's not dishonored when people go to hell. People, Some people nowadays, they teach this doctrine like, you know, what kind of God is that? This God, it ain't a God of the Bible. God wouldn't do that. God will, God just wouldn't do that. Are you sure? Have you read the Old Testament? I mean, like, 100, 200 and some thousand people died in one night by an angel of the Lord? Come on now. God is going to judge the living and the dead, and God will not be dishonored by it. It will glorify God to exercise justice and exercise judgment. It will glorify God. Amen? It has to. There's no other reason. If it didn't, God wouldn't do it. Amen? God does not do evil. Therefore, the judgment of sinners and sending people into hell is not evil. It's righteousness. It's justice. Amen? We Christians, those who believe in Christ, we're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what we don't deserve. We're getting grace. We're getting mercy. We're getting forgiveness and salvation. But all those who reject Christ and are, and are, and are uh, bound for hell, they're not getting injustice. They're getting what they deserve. They're getting what God has commanded them that they will get if they don't believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. Period. It says... To everyone who believes, they are not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is condemned already. Amen? So let's, let's get back to Bible teaching. I know, look, I understand that if I stood up here and I started preaching like I did two years ago and, uh, you know, we'd have 65, 70, 80 people in here again and it'd sound good and, it, you know, we could look at our numbers and go, man, look, there's 55, 60 people here this week and it's going to be, woo! And none of them would know how to answer the question, what is the gospel? None of them would know how to say, why does God send people to hell? Nobody would know how to answer that question. Oh, God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's the most famous thing that I hear people saying right now. God doesn't send anybody to hell. No, their choice does. Had God not put a stipulation in place 
they wouldn't be going there. And nobody on the day of judgment, trust me, is going to willingly leap their self right into hell. Okay? It's not going to happen. They're not going to go, well, my name wasn't in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let me just jump into the lake of fire. They're not going to do that. That's not how it happens. The Bible says they are cast into the lake of fire. They're thrown. Who's doing the throwing? There's only one judge. Amen? Number six. Now God instructs man on his boundaries and sets an expectation on man. He says, of every tree in the garden you can eat, don't eat of that one. Including the tree of life. You realize the tree of life was there for the taking. Man could eat of it every day, all day long if he wanted to. But him, just like me, just like you, right? Come on. Whew, that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. Number seven, it is not good. For man to be alone. Now this point, we're going to get into a whole nother thing. Amen. Amen, Mike. Mike was like, I was amen in that 38 years old. You know, I was thinking, man, where are you at, Lord? Where's this wife? How old were you when you met Judy? 37? 36? Okay, he's 35, okay? And and they dated for a couple years. And I was going, man, these, these, these people need to get married. If, if this is anybody's going to marry Mike, it's this girl, Okay. And I was, like, ready from day one, okay? <laughs> Mike had to keep pushing me back. What, man? I just met her. I remember him saying that to me. They were dating, like, three months or four months. And I was like, when y'all get married? Mike's like, hold on a minute, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, no, it is not good that man is alone. Now, here's something that I want you to mull over in your mind because what we read what people take out of what we read is that somehow God was just oblivious to what man needed so God had to just start making all these creatures because he didn't know which one would fit man And if you don't know anything about the Bible and you don't do any serious exegesis or digging into the scriptures, you may think that too. Okay? But that's not what this passage is teaching. I want to read this to you, okay? Verse 18. And the Lord God said, notice, uh, just a side note, this is not in my notes, just a side note that in this chapter still he is called the Lord God in almost every verse, okay? The Lord God. <clears throat> and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help mate meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not found any meat, help meat for him. 
Now, I want to enlighten you on what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and God could not find a helpmate for him. That's not what's said there. It says, and there was not found a helpmate for him. That's what it says. What does this mean? How do I put this in context? That means Adam couldn't find himself a helpmate in there. Amen. Not God. Adam. Now, why did God bring all these animals to Adam? The most obvious explanation is that God was trying to show Adam, look, all of these creatures have two kinds. A male and a female, a male and a female, a male and a female, right? Two of every kind, right? Yeah, all these creatures were male and female, right? God was showing Adam that it was not good for Adam to be alone. God already knew it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Is God all-knowing? Raise your hand if you think God's all-knowing. Come on, okay? Is God omniscient? He knows everything, right? God knows the past and the, from the beginning, right? He knows the, the end from the beginning, right? Do you realize that God didn't start out in Genesis and, and, and have to learn his way to Revelation? He already knew the end from the beginning, amen? So he knew... Adam needed a helpmate, and he already knew how he was going to provide the helpmate for Adam. What he needed to do was show Adam that Adam was alone. He had to show Adam his need for a helpmate. He had to show Adam his need to have companionship. He was trying to show Adam this. Amen? That's why he brought the animals to Adam, because every animal, the Bible says, in chapter 1, God made each of them after their own kind, right? How do, we, how do birds procreate? Male and female. How do, how do dogs and cats? Male and female. Cows and dogs. Male and female, right? Come on, let's be real. So Adam is watching God bring all these animals before him, and they're all males and females, and they all yeah, maybe they already started having little baby animals, okay? And he's going, man, I can't do any of that. And, and Adam finally goes, oh no, I'm alone. God didn't all of a sudden, in verse 18, suddenly realize, oh, I didn't make Adam a helpmate. That's not what's happening here. God isn't cosmically freaking out that he hasn't made Adam a helpmate. Amen? And God is not cosmically freaking out over the fact that, oh no, I don't know how to find him one. He's showing Adam that he's alone. And Adam is the one that realizes, I couldn't find a helpmate in any of those. Notice that it doesn't say, and God could not find a helpmate. It just says, and Adam, look, let's read it. And, but for Adam, there was not found a helpmate for him. Notice, the wording doesn't say, and God couldn't find one. Why? Because nothing's hidden from God anyway. Amen. This helpmate wasn't some uh, uh, a mystery that God couldn't solve. It wasn't some uh, uh, unfathomable thing that God had to search out in all of his infinite wisdom. He, he was like, I just, where did I file that one away at? I can't remember it. Where, what am I supposed to do at this point? That wasn't how God was acting. Amen. 
God knew exactly what he was doing. And he was purposefully showing Adam that he was alone. Amen? If you, it, it, Kyle, if you go home on uh, verse, uh, let, me, let me look it up so I can tell you the right one, okay? I, don't, I think you brought your little Bible, right? Uh, if you go home and look at the notes in your Reformation Study Bible on verse 18 and 19, okay? It'll, it'll tell you in a shorter uh, introduction what I just said. And almost every commentator agrees on this principle that Adam was being shown that he was alone. Amen. And God was showing Adam his need for a companion. Amen. Because God already knew, already knows what he was going to do. God wasn't sitting back going, oh, man, let me think about this for a minute. I, did, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see Adam needing to help me. God doesn't do that, right? God's not just sitting back going, I didn't see this coming. Well, think about this. All of a sudden, God's having like cosmic brain fart or something that he didn't remember to create Adam a helpmate. No, just like you just like you, just like me, just like both of these boys at some point are going to start going, it's not good for me to be alone, and I'm alone, and I'm not supposed to be alone, and I need somebody, and I need to be with somebody. That's what's going to start happening. It happens with women, too, in puberty. They start going, I need a man. I need to be with somebody. I need to find that one. You know what I mean? We all pray. I remember having conversations in youth group with young women and young men with Mike, <laughs> amen, that we didn't find the one. I remember the list that Mike had, okay? Can I pick on you for a second? Oh, yeah, Mike had a list of what he wanted from a girl, okay? The attributes that he wanted from a girl, right? She had to be godly. And, and, the, and the, the one that stuck out to me the most, and he told me this list after I was married to Carmen, and I think he may have revised the list at that point. He was like, I, I want to find one that I never argue with. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. I thought Mike is going to be alone forever, okay, because this girl does not exist, first of all, okay. <laughs> what, what The expectation of that list, I was like, woo. And when he, I was, you know, I, you know, she got to be pretty, godly, save herself for marriage. I'm thinking those are all doable, right? And then he said, I don't want to have to argue with her about it. We wouldn't argue about anything. And I'm like, woo. Now, I won't tell Judy you had that on your list, okay? Because I'm pretty sure that one's already messed up. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but. That's relationships, amen? You're never going to have a relationship where you always get along with people, amen? Church folks, you need to realize that. You're not going to have a relationship with other church folks where they don't get on your nerves sometimes. You're not going to have a relationship with your pastor where he doesn't get on your nerves sometimes, amen? And Carmen's amen to me because she has to live with me all the time, amen? Man. So God is going to make Adam a helpmate. Amen? And he takes Eve from Adam's rib. Okay? Uh, but I want to read this to you. Uh, ver uh, my seventh point, it was God is not good for man to be alone. Did God learn this 
suddenly realize this? No, not at all. Man must be presented with the understanding of being alone. Adam, uh, not finding a helpmate, was shown to be alone. Adam is being prepared for the gift that God is going to give him in Eve. Amen? Notice that God takes Adam, puts him to sleep, takes a rib out, goes and creates woman, and then presents her to Adam. Amen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and Adam said, whoa, man. Adam is being prepared for God's gift of Eve by becoming aware of his loneliness and the lack of companionship that he had. Amen? Number uh, eight. I put six. I can't count. Number eight. Let me fix this. Number eight. <clears throat> Number nine. Okay. Number eight. God makes Eve from Adam's rib and Adam, Adam, uh, and Ad creates Eve from Adam's rib, right out of Adam. Hence, Adam names her or calls her woman because she came from man. Amen. Now, every commentator you'll ever read, period, bar none, I, I have not found one commentator when they talk about where woman was taken that doesn't make mention of the fact that woman was taken from man's rib. And that means woman is not to rule over man and man is not to trample over his woman. Amen. They are meant to be helpmates. Where I'm weak, Carmen is strong. Where Carmen is not as skilled, I'm, I may have those gifts. Amen. May. I don't say I do. I just say I might. Okay. But Carmen's good at so many things, I tried not to tell her that, you know, she's bad at something. But she was out there on that lawnmower today, and she, she was scared to get close to that fence. Boy, that lawnmower was freaking her out. She hadn't been on that kind yet. She, we got that zero turn, and she's all used to it now. And then she got on this one with the steering wheel, and she thought she was on some new box derby car or something. But uh, anyway, we're to complement each other, amen? Whatever her weaknesses is, I'm supposed to make up for those. Whatever her, my weaknesses are, and they are many, Carmen has to, that's why Carmen looks so good, because Carmen has to make up for so many of my flaws, okay? That's why she does so much, because she's making up for all my flaws, amen? Uh, so we, every commentator, when we talk about where a woman was made from, makes mention of this, and I think it's important for us to realize that men are not to just rule uh, totalitarianism over their wife and hold their thumb on them and, you know, you're, you're here to serve me. That's not what it said. You're here, she's there to be your helpmate, and she's a gift from God, just like Eve was a gift to Adam. Amen? You need to thank God for a, for a, a good wife. Amen? The Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen? And we even have a psalm dedicated to what a godly woman looks like. Do you realize we don't have a psalm that says what a godly man looks like? Let that sink in. <laughs> Amen? Come on. Be real. Women, you are not inferior and you are made in the image and the likeness of God according to Genesis chapter 1. Amen? 
God created them in his own image and his own likeness created them male and female. Although Adam, uh, Eve was made of Adam's ribs, she was still made in the image and the likeness of God. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Now, uh, I had a little uh, note that I wanted to read on this specific verse that we're getting to. On verse 21, uh, at what must have been a moment of loneliness in Adam's life, God stepped in to create one who would perfectly meet Adam's needs. Because God took one of his ribs to use as his raw material, the woman would correspond perfectly, though not identically, to Adam. Like Adam, the woman possessed God's image the fact that she was not taken either from the man's head or from his foot may suggest that the woman was not to rule over the man nor the man to oppress the woman. This is in your Bible, Mike. This is in your Bible notes on verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21. You can go home and read it to Judy, and then she can tell you all the time when you're being mean to her, look, you're not supposed to trample me underfoot. That's what it says right here in your Bible notes, Mike. <laughs> No, it's good for us to remember those things. Because how many of you guys, guys, take your wife for granted sometimes? Come on, let's be real. Sometimes we're just too busy doing dad stuff and work stuff and this stuff. And then all of a sudden we remember, hey, I had called Judy or texted Becca. or You know what I mean? And you're like, whoa, hold on a minute. Amen? And wives... Spend, this is kind of the reverse. Wives spend every day, all day, thinking about most of the stuff that we're not doing right, okay? <laughs> and they're going, man, I wish he'd get cleaned up. I wish he'd do this. I wish he'd do, got the to-do. Now, and every once in a while, maybe the women need to go, man, I, and Carmen does this. She does it far more often than I deserve. Sit back and go, I really love you, and thank you for what you're doing for our family, Okay? And she does it more than I deserve. Amen. Because she deserves more. Uh, she deserves more praise than I give her. Amen. Because she does a whole bunch. Uh, lastly. Ninth. Number nine. We, we end with. For this reason. And if you go back and read Matthew 19. Five. Jesus when he's asked about marriage. Quotes. Genesis. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He says, therefore, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Amen. So Jesus' view of marriage and divorce was far different than ours today in Christian life. Amen. Do you guys remember? I know Carmen will and Mike will. Uh, Ruth, you might have missed this one, but I remember preaching through the first part of Matthew when they in Matthew five and six, where Jesus deals with all kinds of things. You know, uh, divorce being one of them. And I read that passage in divorce where Jesus said, uh, you know, if if you're if you divorce a, anyone who marries a divorced woman is causing her to commit adultery. And I, this room was so quiet, and we probably had 50 people in here, okay? The room was so deathly quiet. And one lady said, Pastor, does that mean if 
I'm divorced and remarried that I'm committing adultery? That's a hard question to answer on the spot. And I said, look, we're all sinners. We've all done sin, okay? I said, but the reality is marriage and the expectation of marriage in the Bible is for life. Amen. It's till death do us part. Amen. Anything outside of Jesus is the only one, only qualification Jesus gave for divorce was for adultery. Amen. That's the only qualification he gave for it. Adultery was it for him. That's he, he was asked specifically. Amen. And that's hard. And Jesus, let, let's go read Matthew. Can we do that real quick? I just want to read Matthew 10. Okay. Uh, Matthew 19. Sorry. Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Jesus is not any less clear in Matthew 19 than he is in Matthew 5 and 6. Okay. But Matthew 19, he's asked a specific question. And I want to answer this question because it deals with marriage. And we have... How many of y'all realize that its Christian divorce rate is no different than the world? And this should not be so. Amen? So, I'm not trying to condemn, I'm trying to instruct that the way that Christ taught marriage was the way we should think about marriage for life. Amen? It came to pass, this is uh, chapter 19 in Matthew, sorry, in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed up from Galilee and came unto the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Notice their question. Can a man just get divorced for any reason? That was their question. And today, I would almost, almost, I'm going to guess that almost 90% of divorces in the world, in the church, they cite this one thing. What's, what's, what's that uh, saying that they, uh, irreconcilable differences not he cheated on me she cheated on me they did me wrong you know uh, they sold all the money they were smoking crack none of that most of the time most of the time it's irreconcilable differences which tells me two things neither one of them were willing to compromise and love the other person ahead of themselves to say, I don't care to have it my way. And number two, neither one of them were walking in humility about their own selfish desires. Amen? The reality is, those divorces could be eliminated if we lived our life for Christ like we say we do. Amen? If I live my life for Christ... And just like people who may not like everything that's taught in this church, that should not keep them from coming. That should 
in inevitably say, you know what, I'm going to overlook what I perceive to be a fault and still love you and still be willing to come and fellowship with you and do what I can to serve in this church. Why? Because when I'm part of a church, I'm to prefer my sister or my brother ahead of myself. Amen? Anything less is not walking in Christian love. Amen? And anything less in marriage is not a Christian marriage. Period. Let's see what Jesus says. Verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female at the beginning of what? At, this is at the beginning of creation. This is when God created man and woman, what we're reading in Genesis 2. Amen? Now watch what he says. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now he didn't say let no man like some outside force. He said let he says let not man. He's saying man has no right to create divorce. Man has no right to create separation in people's marriages where God has not dictated this is legal grounds for separation. Amen. They said unto him, what, it, what did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put his wife away, except it be for fornication. Now, the word here being used could be adultery as well, and it's actually adultery in Luke. I believe when Luke gives the account of this, he says adultery, okay? And in Matthew 5, he gives the caveat of adultery, okay? So here, fornication is the same word being used in a different, it's translated a little different, okay? And shall marry another committeth adultery. So he says, and I say unto you, whoever shall put his wife away except for fornication. Except, he's telling you, except for adultery, there's no other excuse for separation, right? And shall marry another, he committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. His disciples, listen to this, this is his disciples. His disciples said unto him, if... Uh, if the case of man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. He's like, we better not get married then. Now, first of all, they're admitting their own guilt in saying that, oh, well, I'm ready to put my wife away right now. I better just not go ahead and get married because you know what? I might break that one. That's what he's saying. Now watch this. His disciples said unto him, if the, case, uh, if, if the case of the man is so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they whom it is given. 
For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there are some, uh, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Amen? Point in case, Jesus is saying, if you can't handle being married and not divorcing, you probably ought to just be a eunuch and abstain completely. Amen? That's a hard teaching. Because nowadays we want the Jesus that's just going, oh, it's a, he understands your situation, right? That's what we want. But that isn't the Jesus we would get. Even the woman caught in the act of adultery, although she was forgiven, was told, go and sin no more. Amen? Come on, let's be real. I titled tonight, From the Garden to Marriage, okay? <laughs> That's the title of tonight's message, From the Garden to Marriage, because that's what this section is talking about. Amen? He ends with this. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Now that word cleave is dabak or dabak. Uh, it's D-A-B-A-Q, pronounced da, D-A-W, bak, B-A-K. The figurative language here is to catch by pursuit, to obtain fast, to cleave fast to, follow closely, hard after, to be joined together, to keep fast, take over, to pursue hard, to stick together, to take. This is the meaning of the word cleave in Hebrew. Amen. So when I cleave unto my wife, it's permanent amen that's the goal right and i know that i'm talking to people who take marriage very seriously and mike's not in here but i know mike takes marriage very seriously amen but for those of you that may be watching who have taken marriage not so seriously i hope that at the end of this message that you will take marriage much more seriously amen this is marriage in Jesus' mind and Jesus' understanding. And Jesus' mind and Jesus' understanding went back to the garden, number one, because he was there. Number two, because he's the one issuing. All things were made by him, right? Man and woman. Amen? Man and woman, Christ created. Christ formed man from the dust of the earth. Christ formed woman from the rib of man. Amen? And he who is the very imprint, the express image of God, implanted the image of God in man and woman. Amen? So what we see here is his definition of what marriage is. Amen? And Jesus said, there's no excuse outside of fornication. Amen? Outside of adultery, there's no excuse. We need to get back to that biblical practice. And we don't. That doesn't mean we walk around condemning those who've done it. Amen? We counsel them and say, look, uh, adultery, uh, you know, marriage is a covenant. You, you know, have you repented of your former marriage? Are you consecrated in this marriage? Are you intent on living this marriage out? 
like you're supposed to. Amen. That should be our counsel. That should be our goal. Amen. People need to take marriage seriously. And it's interesting that in fulfilling or finishing this chapter, I want you to note that, that Adam is talking, right? He said, this is, uh, this is that last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Amen. And hold fast to his wife or cleave unto her, the King James says, and they shall become one flesh. And Jesus said, whatever God has brought together, let no man put to sunder. Amen. Or let not man put asunder. This was pretty heavy right at the end. I mean, we started out pretty, you know, on pretty good. Oh, man, this is great stuff. And then we got into marriage. And somehow when you start preaching about marriage, people get real serious or run out of the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we have a tendency when it's serious or something that, you know, either we have dealt with or somebody in our family dealt with, that it starts to become pretty personal. Amen. And I don't know how many of you in this room, can I just take a poll, and I don't want you to be offended, but how many of you in this room have come from a family that either A, you had uh, a father and a stepfather, or, you know, a, a mom and a stepmom, you know, we, what we call them broken home. I didn't have a dad, you know what I mean? I, my parents weren't even married, okay? So let's just, let's call a spade a spade, amen? The reality is there are problems in marriage in our culture, and the church should be preaching this, amen? The church should be standing up against it, amen? And not in a bad way, not in a condemning way, but teaching what God teaches about it and then helping those who may have suffered through divorce and remarriage and grew up in homes like that to understand Look, it wasn't perfect. That wasn't what, you know, God wanted. But you're here now, and let's move on from here and do the right thing. Amen? That's what our goal should be. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. I know this was really heavy right at the end, okay? But I think it was good preaching, uh, not just because I'm doing it, but because I'm reading it. Amen? The Bible preaches to me, and I preach to you what I read. Amen? Uh, that's what it, the way it should be, right? Uh, Kyle, you want to pray and close tonight?